Hey friends, this is our first episode, so let me introduce myself. My name is Carrington and I'm a junior in high school who has no clue what career I want to pursue. When looking up careers, I quickly realized that the surface level job descriptions the internet provides are simply not thorough enough to give me clarity on what path I want to pursue. After taking a look around, it was made clear that there are millions of other kids who are in my exact same boat. Now I want to help teens like myself who aren't sure about what they want to do by giving them access to this series of interviews from experienced professionals to help them figure it all out. So I started this podcast, Just Ask, to create a platform where I'll be interviewing professionals from different jobs to get the much-needed details about all types of careers. Hopefully, we can embark on this journey together and get clarity on what career we want to pursue and figure out what the heck it is we want to do with our lives. So with that being said, let's get into it. Hi, today we're here with Scott John. Thank you so much for being here. Scott, tell me about what you do for a living. So I am a management consultant, which is a kind of a special branch of consulting that works with large corporations and works with their management teams, their extended management teams, to think about doing things differently and better and to design what that different and better might look like and to help them do that. And uh, that's kind of what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy it a lot. So what's your background and how did you get started in that? My background is uh, I went to college out of high school to be an engineer, which I studied and and graduated as a mechanical engineer. Mm -hmm. And I got a job with an oil company and I worked for that oil company for 10 years. And uh, about year eight or nine, I got to a point where I got on a special project and the special project was to help the business outside of engineering improve the way they did things that they did. And it was the first time that I'd ever worked with a management consultant. I, had, I didn't know what they did. I didn't really even put those two words together. I, I didn't know that was something that could be done. And so I watched how these management consultants helped to kind of shape and facilitate and lead the work that the, uh, my fellow employees were doing in the oil corporation. When that happened, uh, the light went off in my head and just made me realize that was something that I think I could be good at. It's something I think I could enjoy. And so I immediately began to uh, investigate and research it and see what it was uh, like and to see what it took to get into the field. And uh, within six months, I had made a decision that I was going to leave my corporation and go to graduate school of business and become a consultant. And so that's what I did. So after business school, what occupation did you immediately get into? So I got straight into the field that I had hoped to get into. I went to work for Ernst & Young Management Consulting right away. And I was a, a, a kind of a manager level person in there. And I led small teams of consultants to do projects of different sorts. And from there, I, I just kind of uh, got more and more experience and kind of got moved up a little bit levels and started doing more complicated things and eventually, I began to lead practice areas and, and own what we call client relationships. Um, and so, and, and with Ernst & Young, it culminated with uh, me and the family moving to London and living there for a couple mm. of years. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of was my path through Ernst & Young. A few years later, I joined my current firm now, which is Deloitte. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing it straight for 26 years now. Describe to me a typical day in your job. So a typical day in my job, um, I'll just kind of put myself in a, a project role, uh, say, assuming that I'm spending most of my day with a client project. Usually the day involves a kind of uh, getting coordinated with a team of folks that I work with. Most consulting work is done in teams. You don't usually ever do a project just by yourself. It might be you and one other person. Or it might be you and 10 other people, depending on the nature of the project. But usually there's a, a touch point early in the day to make sure people are clear on what they're working on, because in consulting, it's... It's very fast paced. There's usually things due every day of different sorts to kind of progress things quickly. And so there's usually a touch point early in the day to make sure everybody knows what they're supposed to work on. 
And then the rest of the day usually involves stuff like either doing research around uh, different business processes or what you're trying to improve or engaging with the client individuals and having meetings with them or interviewing them like you're interviewing me right now. That can be a part of the day. Uh, there's usually some time spent after research is done or after interviews are done where you synthesize what you heard and try to capture it and make sense of it so that you can either advance uh, a something you're trying to produce like a report or a point of view or help them make a decision or help them make a design. And so the consultant usually is the first one that puts the first draft of what a solution might look like so that they can review it for the client saying, this is the direction that this looks like this ought to go. Does this feel like this is kind of meeting the ask? Is it meeting what you expected that we should be working on? Because in our view, it does. That would be a typical kind of set of conversations and, and work over the course of a day. And uh, a normal day for a consultant is probably a little bit longer than normal corporate job. So I usually like to tell people that come and work for our firm that they should expect to work between 50 and 55 hours a week in a normal week. And if it's a tough, like a starting of a project, the first two or three weeks can be very difficult and very challenging. And those hours can be more than 50 to 55, could be 70 or 75, hopefully not too often. And then sometimes when the project kind of gets lined out and everything's really working well and there's a lot of trust with the client, those hours can get down to 45 to 50. So that's kind of what I'd say you should expect if you're going to work with uh, my firm. Okay. You mentioned earlier that she lived in London previously because of your job. Is travel something that is often expected? can be. Uh, it it kind of depends on your clients and so forth. That's an important consideration if someone in, in your position thinks about wanting to be a consultant later. Uh, travel can be a part of it. Now, I will say that COVID is changing that a bit. Mm -hmm. And so pre-COVID days, uh, there are a lot of consultants that traveled all the time, like almost you know 40 weeks a year. They would get on a plane on a Monday and come back on a Thursday. That could be quite typical. In my case, I didn't so much because I'm an oil and gas consultant. Those are my clients, and we live in the oil and gas capital of the world in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, from the time I started my career with Ernst & Young up until today, I've traveled a whole lot less than most consultants do because most of my consultants have headquarters right here in this city. But nonetheless, uh, I'm going to be going in the next two months, I'm going to be going to Australia on business. I'm going to be going to uh, Tampa, Florida. I'm going to be going to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I may be going to Brazil in March. So, so that's things that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on what projects you're on and, and uh, where they're situated and where their operations are that can drive you to travel. Now that I'm older and further along in my career, I don't have to travel as much all week as I would have when I was a, a consultant or a manager. But travel is something you should expect. If you don't like to travel at all, this may not be the career for you. Mm -hmm. If you like a little bit of travel, I think post-COVID is going to make that more agreeable to most people's uh, sense of wellness and how they want to manage their time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but travel is a piece of, of what we do. Mm -hmm. Now, with all that being said, what is the least favorite and most favorite parts about your job? Least favorite. Let's start uh, least favorite. I, I, there's not too much about the job that I don't like, I have to say. Um, um, the least favorite probably is the internal things that you have to do just to make, keep good hygiene around your business, you know, you know working, filling out forms, doing year-end appraisals every year, even at, at my age and in my position, I still get evaluated every year as to whether I'm doing good or not. I have forms to fill out. I've got goals to set. I have to explain why goals weren't met. That's mm -hmm. probably my least favorite thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is my least favorite thing. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite thing is the consultative process. So I, let's just 
pretend like you're my client, Carrington, I would come to you and say, you, you've called me because uh, you think you've got a problem. Let's talk about what that problem is. And you may have thoughts around what the problems are, but you're not sure what the root cause is and you've got symptoms. And so together I would start exploring with you those symptoms and we'd kind of land on what we think the real root cause problems are. And then from there, we must think about what are the solutions and how would we get from where you are today, which is not ideal, to something more ideal later. All that whole process and getting you and your organization mobilized, that's my favorite thing. And so I like, I like working with clients in that way. I like facilitating senior executive groups that can't seem to get out of their own way and getting them to move forward. I love that kind of work. And then the last thing I'll say about my favorite thing is consulting is like plumbing or like uh, art. It's, it's a craft. It, it's, it's not just science. And so you learn it by not only going to engineering school or, or art school and, uh, and then uh, and learning English or whatever and then going to MBA school. You don't learn all your consulting that way. You learn it as an apprentice. So you learn it by watching others do what you do. Mm-hmm. So when you're younger, you watch an older person like me. How did I prepare for that meeting? How did I facilitate that meeting? Uh, those people came to the room. They were anxious or they were not happy that I was there. How did I get around that and make people feel good to be there and so forth? Mm-hmm. Those things you learn by watching other people do. Mm-hmm. And I love the apprentice nature of the consulting career. Mm-hmm. So define the skill sets and qualities needed to be successful at being a consultant. Uh, great question. So I think certainly there's uh, a basic uh, intelligence level that's required to do that. And uh, so most people that get out of a, a big name undergraduate school are already past that, tick that box. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, some people that don't even go to undergraduate school are certainly uh, clever enough to do that. Then beyond that, you think about uh, you need to be naturally curious, I think. Uh, I think it would be hard to, uh, which means you just like to learn things. You, you ask whys when you read things. Why is that? Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. I think there is a people skill that's really uh, required. So uh, the impact that you have on people when you say things, your word choice, all those things influence how you're perceived by your client and will make them either receptive or not receptive to you, even if you're doing fundamentally the same thing to people that know how to engage with people well. Uh, a person that knows how to engage well will kind of do that a lot better than someone who doesn't. That's a necessary skill. The ability to express yourself uh, verbally and in writing, key skill sets. So you need to be a good writer and a good handler of the language uh, because you're going to be asked to do that a lot. Um, Most of what gets written in a consulting project, even if it's the client owns it, a consultant will be drafting the first version of that. And so that skill can be quite useful. And then I would say for most management consulting, but not all, a facility with mathematics and arithmetic is good. So mm-hmm. uh, quick quickness with numbers and percentages and so forth makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. I'd say those are some of the skills. And you mentioned the necessity of having social skills. So my question is, how do you sharpen up your social and people skills? I'm thinking the first thing is just to be aware it's important. Uh-huh. Uh, ask people for feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that... Uh, countless times I have been in meetings and done things I didn't realize I was doing Mm -hmm. that weren't ideal for Mm -hmm. what I was trying to accomplish or what I was trying to convey or how I was trying to be persuasive and so forth. And I had some really good coaches that would show me and tell me, Mm -hmm. and usually the the best of them would tell me just one-on-one so I wasn't embarrassed in front of other people and they would share something. Mm -hmm. I remember one story one time uh, a partner told me I went and ran a meeting and I was just, it was actually between my two years of business school. I was an intern. And I, and I led the meeting with the client, and it went really, really well. And he was really pleased with me. 
But afterward, mm-hmm. when it was just the two of us, he said, now, Scott, sometimes when you get into a spot and you were less sure of yourself, mm-hmm. your voice volume kind of went down like this. Mm-hmm. He said, don't let that happen. And right. so I, I remember that was one tip uh, that I wanted to kind of avoid doing in the future. I've had a bunch of stories like that. Mm-hmm. And I passed that on to people, too. Just the other day, I was sharing with a very young consultant, very talented guy, about something that he needed to do to change. And he was doing fantastic Mm-hmm. But I wanted to keep him growing and growing and growing. So I shared something with him one-on-one right. afterward that was useful to him. He really appreciated it. So, but anyway, on the social skills, I think being aware, looking for advice and, and listening to, you know, people who are your friends that are trying to help you, uh, don't be, don't be hurt. Be, mm-hmm. be thankful that they're investing in you to help you even up your game. Mm-hmm. So you'd say like asking for feedback is very important. Very important. That's important in life. Period. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing that I would, if I could just wave a magic wand and impart this on every 16-year-old that I knew, uh, think of feedback as constructive, not as a criticism of you, not something intended to hurt you or to offend you, but rather something that you can take and, and use. Now, sometimes feedback's not useful. Sometimes it's just wrong, mm-hmm. but more often than not, it's not wrong. And so if you can be honest about it and take it as it's intended, you know, assume positive intent, you can get a lot from feedback in your life. Mm-hmm. How do you decipher whether feedback is useful or not useful? I think uh, it's good to have a mom and dad that love you, which mm-hmm. you do, and you can just share that with them and say, hey, I heard this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And if you ask them about it, then they'll probably share that moms and dads are, they pick their spots when they, when they constructively criticize their kids. Mm-hmm. And so they don't go looking for everything they want to correct. But if you ask them about it and say, honestly, tell me, they'll tell you. And so you can test it with people whose judgment you trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what other advice would you give to people who are interested in pursuing your career path? Uh, I would say uh, advance your experiences in your education. So if you're contemplating whether college is for you or not, I w- and, and you were thinking about this career, you'd want to do college because that will keep doors open to you. College isn't for everybody and it doesn't need to be for everybody. There's a lot of success stories all over the planet of people that didn't go or didn't finish college. That's not prerequisite to success in life at all. In this career, it would be hard to do what I did without having an undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. So I'd recommend that. doesn't mean you have to be a consultant. All it means is it opens up doors for you to do that. So I would do that. Other than that, I would just say you need experiences. So um, choose experiences that don't close doors. So right. do, do things that uh, open up doors. It may not be your forever career, but if it's a good uh, place to work where people that are smart and caring work and you think you can really apply yourself for a period of time, it might only be a year or two or something like that, you will take learnings from that that will make you better later on. And there's probably almost certainly something that you can apply to the consulting career just because you did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you can go back in time, what would you do differently? Uh, if I could go back in time, I, so uh, I will, uh, you and I have talked in the past, Carrington, about three circles and about learning kind of where your sweet spot is for your career. Mm-hmm. I wish if I could just wave a wand about my own life, I wish I had figured that out sooner. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was about 10 years out of undergrad before uh, that dawned on me. In fact, I will say it was even after I got into the career that I actually put that model together in my mind. Again, taken from people like Jim Collins, who wrote a book called Good Great. Um, but I would, uh, I would probably have examined myself at three or four years, and I probably would have left uh, engineering after about three or four years of experience as opposed to 10. Mm-hmm. That's what I think I would do. 
but I don't have too many uh, complaints because the fact that I was older when I got the consulting put me in at a slightly higher level, which meant I was uh, had a little bit more control over the projects that I did, and a little bit more control over the travel. And I don't think I would have survived consulting. Yeah, I know I wouldn't have. Uh, my wife wouldn't have let me do it, and I wouldn't have done it because uh, our first job was raising our kids. That was the main thing. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to be there at night for the softball right. matches and the baseball games and the uh, all that stuff. That was very important to me. So it really worked out well for us. As of right now, if you could, would you choose any other occupation? No, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think I would be as good doing the jobs that my clients do um, for a variety of reasons. It's, it's, uh, it's more administrative. It's actually more political. So it's more about perception. It's a little bit less about numbers. I won't go into the detail uh, specifics in performance. It's, it's mm-hmm. a little more challenging. So it becomes more of a political uh, career by nature. It doesn't mm-hmm. make it bad. It's just the way it is. And so I wouldn't enjoy it. I, I did enough of it to know. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, uh, I just don't think I had the interest to be some of the more other traditional jobs that people tend to admire in law or medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, accounting, I wouldn't want to do that. I don't have the skill set to be an artist. It's not not me. Uh, I'm not good enough to be a professional musician. I mean, it just so. So I think I've really found a really good spot for me. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned earlier something called a sweet spot, which I remember you talking about at a family dinner the other day. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I remember that lunch very well. And so the sweet spot you were talking about was that thing that I got out of a book that I read uh, 25 years ago. And it was the concept that for people to choose the best career for them, they needed to try to satisfy three different areas of interest in their lives. One was what rewarded them, which is financial, but even more than that, just what rewards them. They like doing it. They feel it's morally right. It's fulfilling. So reward was one. What they're really good at. And so most of us have several things that we're good at. What are our best skills compared to our other skills? What are our best skills compared to what other people do? And the third thing is passion. And passion is not, you know, particularly emotional. It's just what are you naturally really interested in? What do you spend time doing when you don't even need to be doing it? What do you read about at the end of the day when it's not really part of your job? That tends to indicate uh, passion. What do you like practicing? What do you like trying to improve? That indicates areas of passion for you. And so ideally, my wish for you is when you're 30 years old, you're in a career where you feel rewarded, you feel like you're using your best abilities, and you just are passionate about what you do. You like it, and you like getting better at it. And if you can find that intersection, we call that the sweet spot when we had the lunch. If you find that spot and you work most of your career in that area, you're going to be a very fulfilled person. I wish that for everybody. I really enjoyed what you said about sweet spots. And as a young person, where I am now, is I'm considering internships. What advice would you have on that? Uh, great question. I, I, I would say a couple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is I'd say take some pressure off yourself. So your first internship is not going to be your sweet spot for the rest of your life. And so just kind of I, I see a lot of people, particularly high achievers like you, that you just want to nail it every time. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be the perfect internship. Take a little pressure off yourself. There's time to do that. I would say I didn't find my sweet spot till I was in my early 30s. And, so, and, and some people find it later than that. So take a little pressure off is one. Secondly, I would pursue the, the sweet spot area, which means you don't want to just chase passion. Like I just want to do an internship in something I'm really interested in, or I just want to do something that I'm good at. Continue to try to chase those things that you think is trying to address all three. 
You're not going to nail it on the first one. Probably it may not be till the fifth time or the tenth time that you finally end up in that career. But each time you take a step, you ought to ask yourself, is this adding to my skills? Is it adding to my experiences? And is it getting me step kind of closer to the sweet spot? Am I, am I going toward the sweet spot or am I going away from it? And as long as your internships are kind of building on your experiences and you think they're taking you closer to that intersection point of reward, passion, and ability, you're making a good choice. And so I think that's the advice I would give at this stage. Okay. Well, with that being said, thank you so much for this interview and for blessing us with your wisdom. I hope y'all gain insight from that because I know that I did myself. And yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you guys for listening to that amazing interview. I hope you got as much from it as I did. Let me know what careers you want to see in the interview next. Peace and love. Goodbye, y'all.